All right. Um, so because of the words that were expressed in that song, um, and just, again, with, with everything that we're, we're facing, um, I know we just pray, but I'm going to pray one more time and just ask that that song uh, would be exactly what happens in our minds and our hearts as we continue on in the service. So uh, I'm going to pray briefly, and uh, you just go ahead and join with me where you are, okay? Father, we just sang a beautiful song of worship. It was a song that was truly uh, a prayer that should be on our lips and in our hearts all the time, no matter what we do, no matter where we find ourselves, good times and bad, but especially in difficult circumstances, it's that much more important that what was expressed in that song and the truth of it uh, is what we are anchored to. And so I pray that that would happen. I pray as we turn our attention to your holy word that we would be reminded of who and what you are as we jump back into the series where we are studying and focusing and pondering your names, your divine name, as manifested in different ways and different examples throughout your word, throughout history, it all, all of it comes together to point to the fact that you are so far above us, that you are holy, that you are majestic, that you are unlimited in all of your ways. And we need to be focused on who and what you are, now more than ever. And so I pray, Father, please, by your Spirit, put out all distractions, all other considerations, all fears, all discouragements, all anxieties, all disappointments, fatigue and weariness. Put it all out of us as we continue on in these minutes and as we look into your word together. May you unite us all around just how wonderful just how incredible you are. And may that be the encouragement and the hope and the motivation that we all need as we go back from this place into the world where there is such chaos and confusion and uncertainty. May we be armed for that for our own sake and our own benefit, but also for the sake and benefit of others around us. Thank you for what you're going to do by your Spirit through your Word in this place in these minutes. We commit ourselves wholly to you, our holy God. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we have we've taken some time uh, away, obviously, from our summer series, our summer study, What's in a Name, as we've been looking at the names of God. And up until the time we took that break, uh, I know that many of you have shared how you were benefiting from that, and you were encouraged and challenged, and uh, we're just really enjoying that series. And, and I, right along with you, I've really enjoyed uh, this study and this series. So I'm very excited to jump back into that. If you need a refresher, they are all available on our website, uh, along with the YouTube channel that we've been doing the uh, video streams with. So if you need a refresher, jump back in and do that. Um, But as we continue on, um, I just want to remind you that in all the different names that we've looked at, it, it all points to one fact, that what was true of God as revealed in those names thousands of years ago, 
is just as true today for you and me. It is the absolute constant reality. All that he shows us and reveals to us about himself through these incredible divine names, they are meant for you just as much as they were meant for the original hearers of those names. We need to keep that in mind and draw great encouragement from that and draw great strength from that, especially in these days uh, where there just continues to be reminder after reminder of all that is not constant, all that is not certain, right? I mean, that's certainly where we find ourselves still. Uh, The coronavirus is still with us and rages on. I mean, cases just continue to climb. You know, the the, uh, new and active cases, it's unfortunate and it's It's terrible, but it's the reality that we find ourselves in. And certainly we all want to find the uh, the cure for that. We want to know that there's uh, this this one thing that's going to take it all away. And, And certainly that will be great when that happens, and we hope it does. We pray that it does. We need to also know that this by no means is the first time such a thing has happened. A few weeks ago, we looked at many different examples throughout history of things that came our way in terms of humanity that we had to deal with. Tragic, scary, awful things and circumstances that on the surface looked really grim and really bleak. And there was, with every one of those, the potential to fear and to, uh, to panic. But each one of those things God brought us through. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And kind of along the same lines, as bad as, as COVID is, and it's real, and it's, it's powerful, but by no means is it the only time that our civilization has had to deal with a, a tough pandemic or a really strong disease that didn't seem to have any way out of, at least not readily available. One such example of that disease uh, is polio. Polio. It was at one time among the worst, if not the worst, of uh, diseases known. And the triumph over polio has been considered one of, if not the greatest success stories of modern medical science. Uh, it was one, once the most widespread of diseases all over the world. Um, now it's been mostly eradicated throughout the developed world. One of the most famous people that uh, had polio was President FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he actually was diagnosed with the disease when he was 39 and then suffered with that the rest of his life. There's a very famous picture of um, him along with Joseph Stalin and Winston Churchill at a summit. And uh, you see him in, the, in a wheelchair, and then most of the, the pictures uh, throughout the rest of his time um, scattered throughout his pictures. You see him in a wheelchair or even using um, the, uh, the, the cane or uh, braces. And that's something that was very striking for everyone, to see a president in that condition. But polio was something that uh, caused great panic. Um, it caused just widespread death and and illness and debilitating situations for a lot of people. Uh, Another disease that ran rampant throughout culture and civilization was smallpox. Smallpox. It was responsible for an estimated 300 to 500 million deaths during the 20th century alone. And smallpox throughout history, long before the 20th century, has been one of humanity's most merciless diseases. 
But the smallpox vaccine came about, and it was first the first successful vaccine in history to be developed. It was discovered by someone named Edward Jenner in 1796, and it came about after he noticed that people who caught the cowpox virus seemed to be immune to the smallpox virus. And so after that, a worldwide eradication campaign, uh, after it was all verified and seen and continued to be used, uh, it came about in the 20th century, a combined effort, and it eventually led to the destruction of the smallpox virus. And to this day, it remains the only virus that has afflicted humanity that has been 100% eradicated. And it's easy to point to those things and to be happy about that and say, well, I'm glad those things are gone. And it's easy to point to the science behind it and the, the medicine behind it and to marvel at that and say, oh, wow, look at, look at what was done. Look at what modern medicine was able to do. Look at what science was able to do. And sure, modern medicine has taken care of a lot of affliction and a lot of disease, a lot of illness. Science has worked to bring about a lot of you know, vaccines and cures, and all that's good and well. The thing we all have to be careful about, though, specifically as believers, is putting too much stock in science as opposed to the sovereignty and strength of our God. The other thing we have to be careful about is marveling too much at medicine and modern science and too little at our majestic God. Because here's here's the reality that we all need to be aware of and all need to remember and keep coming back to. It's this. Man can cure disease, but only God can change man's heart. Do you agree with that? I hope so. I hope so. Man can cure disease. He has. Thousands of diseases man has been able to cure. And there will still be more diseases that man will be able, able to, uh, to cure and find healing for. But only God can change man's heart. Man can heal the body. But only God can restore man's soul. Man can heal the body, but only God can restore man's soul. And that's what we need to remember, church. And sure, it's great when, when there's development and advancement in medicine and technology and science, and it's great when we're able to find remedies and cures and to provide physical healing. That's wonderful. But nothing that we come up with, nothing that we develop, will ever be able to meet mankind's greatest need that goes far below the surface, that goes much deeper than just skin deep. What we need, what we need to constantly know is that there is a God who reigns above everything in all the circumstances, in all the situations, and He is a God who truly is the God that heals. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The divine name we're going to be looking at and talking about in our time here today together is Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh Rapha. The Lord that, or you could say the Lord who heals you. The Lord that, or the Lord who heals you. Yahweh Rapha. And the first time this divine name shows up in Scripture is in Exodus chapter 15, 
verses 22 through 26. Exodus 15, 22 through 26. And this is right after Moses has led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and right after the miraculous, amazing defeat of Pharaoh and his army as they pursued them. Exodus 15, 22, starting with that verse, God's Word says this, Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea. Remember, right after the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's defeat. And they went out to the wilderness of Shur, and they journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. That's a problem, right? You're in the wilderness. You're thirsty. Three days without water. Panic starts setting in. What are we going to do? Where are we going to find water? We've got to get water. What are we going to do? We, we know we were just rescued from Pharaoh and, and from the armies of Egypt. God did that, but I guess that was too much for him and his power is all spent now. Where are we going to get water? We're doomed. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah. So there was water at Marah, but they couldn't drink it. And it tells us why. Because it was bitter. It was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. Because Mara literally means bitterness. So it's fitting that they named it that, right? And then verse 24, because of that, the people grumbled. That was really the theme of the nation of Israel, right? Grumbling. Um, and if we're honest, that's often the theme of our lives. Uh, if we just really take a step back and are willing to admit that, we find grumbling, I think all of us find it very easy uh, we find that a very natural thing and very natural reaction to circumstances, to situations, to life. We're all prone to be people that grumble. And really, even though the water is why it was called bitter or the place of bitterness, um, as we see here in this text and as it's unfolded for us and the picture that's painted is that the people fit very well with being at Mara because they were bitter people. There was a bitterness of their hearts. There was a bitterness in their minds. There was a bitterness of their spirits that superseded the bitterness of the water that they were not able to drink. And the people grumbled to Moses and said, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. The Lord made a statute, an ordinance for them at Marah, and He tested them there. He said, if you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in His sight, pay attention to His commands, and keep all His statutes, I will not inflict any illnesses on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And that was the name that He provided, the name He gave that, we, that I gave to you just a few minutes ago, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals you. And even though he gave this name and attached it to a promise that as long as you follow me and you, you obey me and you live for me, I will guard your life. I will guard your very health. I won't bring on you in judgment the plagues and the diseases that I inflicted Egypt with. If you if you honor me and, and my statutes, I will honor you by not inflicting those things on you. And that was a very specific promise. But his statement about being the God 
who heals them, Yahweh, that wonderful personal name that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush before he sent Moses to deliver Israel, it went much deeper than just physical healing. Remember what the people were doing. They were grumbling. They were demonstrating their own bitterness, the bitterness of their heart, the bitterness of their mind, the bitterness of their spirit. And this divine name, the Lord who heals you, was not in any way limited to or exclusively attached to the physical healing or physical protection. What God was saying here is, I am the God and only the God, the only one who can and will heal you from all your bitterness. That's what he was saying here. And he was using the bitterness of Mara, the physical bitterness of the water, and his specific curing of that bitter water as an illustration and a visual aid of a deeper, more important principle that only God can heal the bitterness of our soul, that only God can heal the bitterness of our spirit, that only He can reach deep down where the source of our own sinful bitterness resides and heal it. Only He can do that. He's the only one. That's what He was telling them by giving them that name that specific name, the Lord who heals you. And, and let's, just, let's just take that personal and apply that personally. Think about all the ways that you and I can be very miserable creatures indeed. Think about all the ways we can be bitter in all the avenues that that, that can go and all the aspects of bitterness that we can, we can manifest. Isn't it amazing how sinful we still can be even though we are saved, made new in Christ, even though that's true, and even though we have the reality of Christ that we do have and the reality in Christ that is ours, how incredibly sinful and selfish and bitter that we can be. Isn't it just astounding? I mean, I, I am astounded, unfortunately daily, at my own sinfulness and the levels of my sinfulness that I still manifest and demonstrate. I mean, it's incredible. After all that I know, after all I've seen God do in my life and for me, after how, how faithful He has been through all the years that, that I've walked with Him, yet I can still so quickly and easily turn from Him and turn inwardly and despair over the most ridiculous things. Bitterness, Mara, that could be all of our names. And yet, the God who gave this wonderful, precious, divine name, the Lord who heals you, to the bitter people of Israel, He gives the same name to you and me. And just as He was faithful, faithful to provide not just the physical healing they needed, but the spiritual healing that they needed, He is faithful to you and me to provide us with the spiritual healing we need daily. For the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Amen? Every morning His mercies are new. And because of His compassion and His great faithfulness, we are not consumed. The Lord who heals. And there's also a powerful visual aid of this truth that the Lord alone is the one who heals and that that healing goes far beyond the physical. Um, God has provided a, a great 
illustration and very visual uh, reminder of that truth and reality and what it means that he is the God who heals, still with the nation of Israel, still with Moses, in Numbers chapter 21. So I want to turn your attention there. Numbers 21, and we'll look at verses 4 through 9. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. This is a new generation of Israelites. Uh, This is long after the incident here at Marah. This is long after the Red Sea was parted and they were delivered from Pharaoh's hand. This is a, a whole new generation of Israelites, but Moses is still leading them. And here's what the text says. From Mount Hor, they set out by way by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. So same sea, same nation, different, specifically different individuals, part of that nation, same leader, and same problem, same issue, same heart problem. They became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. And here's what they said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe. That, that's far more than we don't like. If you loathe something, that means hate with an exceeding hatred. We loathe this worthless food. And the food that they were calling worthless, I mean, that right there is, is just striking that they had enough gall to call the food that they were given worthless because the food they were talking about was the manna that God had been blessing Israel with. I mean, here's God who doesn't have to do anything for them. He didn't have to deliver them from Egypt, but He did. He didn't have to deliver them out of Pharaoh's hand, but He did. He didn't have to bring them through the Red Sea in a miracle, but He did. He didn't have to heal the waters of Marah, but He did. He didn't have to do any of the things that He did for them day in and day out, but He did out of His goodness, out of His grace. And so here's God providing food from heaven, manna for them. Every day they have exactly what they need. And yet, here's their response to it. We loathe this. This, I know, is coming from God. This is a blessing straight from His hand, but we loathe it. Wow, right? Wow. After all they had seen God do, after all they had heard about Him doing, even if they hadn't personally witnessed it, after all they themselves saw day after day after day as manna was given to them and provided, and they had water to drink up to this point, after all the faithfulness of God, they still were able to have this attitude, this mindset, for this to be true of their heart, and to actually say about God's provision that they loathe it and call it worthless. And we've got to pause here for a second because it's really easy for us hearing this to say, my goodness, what were they thinking? How terrible they were. What's wrong with these stupid people? It's really easy for us to kind of rise up in judgment over the nation of Israel at this point. But be careful, because how often do we do a similar thing with our attitudes, with how we respond to situations or circumstances? After all that God has done in our lives, 
after saving us by His grace, not by anything we have contributed to that, not by any worth we have, after providing us homes and clothing and food and cars and the ability to live in the country that we live in and and our health and, I mean, a thousand different blessings, what happens when we come into a difficult situation? What happens when something doesn't work out the way we want it to? What happens when something comes along that we find uncomfortable or um, not in line with our preference or opinion or agenda? We're, we're, we're just a little bit away from having the same attitude as what we read about here. So easy. We've got to be careful not to judge too harshly because, but for grace, so go we. I mean, it just, it happens so easily. We can do the exact same thing. Well, here's what God's response was to this. It's not like that was okay. And by me saying all of that, that doesn't mean it wasn't horribly wicked on their part. It was. And here's how God responded. Verse 6, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, among his people, the chosen people of God, the nation of Israel. The Lord, God, sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And, and it, we, can, we can say on the surface, oh, how, how did he do this? Why did he do this? How could God do this? And, and some critics would say, well, see, there you go. There's an inconsistent God for you. Where's his love? Where's his mercy? Where's his grace? Where's your good God there? How could he do that to his own people? You know, that's what a lot of people would say to this. And the answer that I have for that is this. Sometimes our always good God will send us something really bad to shake us out of our selfishness and stupidity. Sometimes our always good God, that, that's always going to be true, that He is always good. God cannot be anything but good. That's what it means to be God. The, the difference, though, with how we view goodness and how He is, is that He is God, and He is perfect in His goodness, and how He defines goodness is always the ultimate standard of good. And we're not always up, in fact, rarely are we up to the perspective that He has and how He views good and what He knows good is. And so sometimes he's going to act in a way that is still consistent with his character and still consistent with his constant goodness, but it's not going to feel that way to us. But just because it doesn't feel or seem good to us does not mean it's not good and does not mean that God has now suddenly ceased to be good. This is a prime example that our always good God, in His perfect love for us, as a good, perfect Father, will allow or even directly cause and send us something really bad into our lives to shake us up and shake us out of our incredible selfishness and stupidity. And that's what we see on display here. So that's happening. These fiery serpents are coming. They're biting the people and they're even dying. Verse 7, and the people came to Moses and said, see, they're shaken up. They're woken up. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. 
pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And just a second more on this. Um, you know, you've heard probably the, the phrase, stay woke. Right now it's everywhere. Hashtag stay woke and all that. Well, church, what it really means to be woke is not um, a specific response to you know, certain guidelines and mandates. I mean, there may be a time for that. And, and I'm not saying that that never will be necessary. It, it may. But it's far more important for us to interpret staying woke as a church, as Christians, as being people who are quick to respond to our own sinfulness and quick to repent from our sin. That's really what it means to stay woke. Staying woke as a, as a church and as Christians means let's stay aware of God's holiness. Let's stay aware of our own sinfulness. Let's stay aware of our, our in, in, inherent and constant tendency to rebellion in a, in a thousand different ways. Let's stay woke to our own selfishness and self-centeredness. Let's stay woke to our pride and let's stay woke to the fact that God will always despise all of that. And so we need to be constantly, aggressively turning away from all that is contrary to our holy God. That's what it means to really be woke and to stay woke. Let that define us. Let that be what characterizes us as believers. Not some fiery, aggressive response to social norms or social realities or social action. There may be a time and place for that, but there is always a time and place constantly for us to pursue holiness and to pursue obedience to our God. And thankfully, we see, at least for a little while, Israel responding in the right way to what God had allowed uh, to enter into their lives to cause the repentance that we see on display here. And in response to that, verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, that means intentionally looks at or, or gazes on, everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent, and that's, again, intentional, just gazing at it. He would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, I don't want, I don't want you to miss the incredible picture that paints and what it points to. I mean, it's, it's just, it's so undeniable what this action on Moses' part that God had him do, what it points to, what it pictures for us. With the, the serpent on the pole and, and, the, and the placing it on there, and then uh, think about something else that was placed up on a pole, as it were. You see where I'm going with this? The serpent on the pole was an absolute picture of the coming Messiah, Jesus, our Savior and Lord, who is going to be put on a cross so that everyone who looked to Him and to Him alone would live. The serpent's deadly bite here, the fiery serpents that bit the people, it was an absolute picture of the deadly poison of sin. That's what the serpents pictured. And it was in direct response to the people's sin. And as they, it was a very real physical bite, 
But beyond the physical, there was the picture of the deadly poison and the bitterness of sin that is just constantly with us that we can do nothing to rid ourselves of, no matter how hard we try. No marvel of of modern medicine or science will get rid of that, that there's a, a poison of sin and a bitterness of it that no one and no thing can, can do away with and can eliminate. And the serpent on the pole, the, the bronze serpent that was put there, was a picture of the coming Savior that took our death in order to give us life. Isn't that a, a beautiful picture? Isn't that just astounding? That what took place around the passage of Numbers was looking far ahead to when Jesus, God the Son, the only perfect one, the righteous one, would come and go up to the cross and and actually take our death in order to give us life. And here's how we can know that that that, what happened in the Old Testament was a picture of what happened in the New. John 3, 14 through 15 tells us this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, that in itself was not sufficient to permanently heal the nation of Israel from all of the poison of the sin in their lives. Not at all. It did supernaturally and very specifically heal the poisonous bite of the serpents at the time, but it was meant to provide a picture that only in me, God was saying, only in me, the God who heals you, Yahweh Rapha, only in me will you find the healing you really need. And it goes far deeper than just skin deep. Only in me. And the bronze serpent was just a symbol of that. And just to show you how sinful we as humans are and can be, you know what what happened with that same bronze serpent? Later in the timeline, Israel started to worship it. They took the bronze serpent that God used in a very specific way to show them that He alone could heal them, and they made that an object of idolatry against Him. Because that's what we do. (laughs) That's what we do. The human heart is an idol-making factory. We just keep churning them out. Only in God will we find the healing that we ultimately need. And specifically, specifically in the person of Jesus, who is with this divine name, just like all the other divine names that we've studied together. I mean, by now, I think you've seen the pattern that every time that we look at the Old Testament divine name, we make a connection with Jesus, personally, specifically. Hopefully you've seen that throughout this series. We've done that every week. And that's exactly how it's meant to be. He is always, Jesus is always, the manifestation of all the character of God. He's always the one that you look to to really see what God is like. Always. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily, the Word tells us. And so Jesus 
is the absolute fulfillment and the complete manifestation of this divine name, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals you, just as he is all the others. And John 3, 14 and 15 really makes that clear. And what that means for us, and what we, we, we have to remember this, because we have at one point, if you're in Christ, we have said, yes, I believe that the ultimate healing I need that goes far beyond the physical, the, the spiritual healing, the healing of my soul that I need, I can find in none other than Jesus. You've said that if you're a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. And all of us that have said that together, if we really believe that, we need to be reminded of that. That in Him alone will we find the healing we need. The healing for that miserable attitude, that grumbling spirit, that self-centered mindset and all the different ways that we sin only in continually coming back to the savior who saved us will we find the remedy for our humanity it's only only where only place we find it is in jesus only jesus's blood can cure us from the poison of sin that flows through our veins only jesus's blood shed for us can cure us or anyone from the poison of sin that flows through our veins. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He Himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. And don't miss the fact that this is not just physical healing that we're talking about. In church, hear me on this. Yes, God can and will heal you physically if He wills. Certainly, He can, He will. Many of you have experienced that. And it is not wrong to ask God for and believe Him for physical healing. There's nothing wrong with that. He is still the God who physically heals. But don't ever fall into the trap of limiting his healing to that of the physical. And don't ever fall into the trap of only marveling and only being astonished and amazed and thankful for the physical healing. Because the spiritual and the inward healing that God does in a life is far more miraculous than the physical healing could ever be. To take a dead sinner and raise him to life and infuse in him the very righteousness and standing and merit of Jesus and raise him up, seating him with him in the heavenlies, that is the most astounding miracle that anybody could ever experience. And we still experience the miraculous every day by his grace and his faithfulness in our lives. Every time you sin, because you have the ability uh, to be forgiven is completely tied to what Jesus did on the cross for you and your miraculous salvation. So every day you experience the forgiveness and the renewal of God, and that is incredible healing that takes place constantly in your life. The sanctifying work of the Spirit in your life, believer, that is a miraculous daily healing that takes place. So it goes so much beyond the physical. Sin, sin is man's most pervasive pandemic. 
goes far beyond polio, smallpox, yellow fever, COVID-19, whatever comes after COVID. Sin is man's most pervasive pandemic, and it always will be. And Jesus is the only remedy. Always. Always. And if you have experienced that remedy yourself, praise Him. Praise Him for it. But don't sit on it selfishly either. Keep coming back to the remedy that that is yours constantly, perpetually, eternally, through Christ, through coming to Him once for all. Now you have that that healing. For, For all of eternity you are healed. And you have that perpetual cleansing that is that is yours now forever because of coming to Christ. It's once for all. So keep coming back to it. Keep praising Him for it. But keep sharing it. I mean, I would hope if someone tomorrow discovered the complete, verified, guaranteed, without any harm to you, uh, cure for COVID-19 and and cancer and diabetes and everything else, you would hope that they would provide it, right? You'd, You'd hope that would happen. Well, again, sin is man's most pervasive pandemic, and Jesus is the only remedy. And if you're in Christ, you've tasted it, you've seen it, you've experienced it, you can attest that it's good and it's real. And so then, how heartless would it be for you and me not to go and give it out? So that's our response as those who have been made clean and cured and new and whole by the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the only remedy. He is the Lord who heals. Do you know Him? Have you experienced that healing? If so, great. Praise God. Now go and bring others into it as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we have seen not just an example of Your faithfulness and Your miraculous work and power. Uh, We haven't just seen that, but we have also seen ourselves in this. We've seen Um, the fact that we are so prone to be just like the nation of Israel. We are so prone to be just as bitter, full of grumbling, full of selfishness, full of sin. And just as they were reminded again and again that only in you they found true and an ultimate healing, so it will be true for us that only in you will we find what we need at the very core of our being. Only you can remake a heart. Only you can change a heart. Only you can change a life. Only you can restore a soul. It's only you. You are the God who heals. And that, that does include physical healing, and we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. I even pray now for those who are struggling physically in whatever way that you would be merciful, that you would have pity, and that you would heal our brothers and sisters and our family members who are struggling so much physically. And we thank you that we can ask you for that, and we thank you that we can see that on display. But Father, help us to remember that you being the God who heals goes far beyond the external or the physical. It goes down into our very soul. Help us to believe that, Help us to keep coming back to that and help us to proclaim that, I pray. I ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.